0: Amazing if Christians really desired the change. The scripture tells us that we are predestined, or God has predestined us to be like His Son. Wouldn't it be something that that was our real desire? To be like Jesus. Well, whether we want it or not, one day we're going to look upon his face, and the scripture tells us we shall be like him. Because God's going to keep his word that we are predestined to be like his son. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for the work that you're going to do in spite of ourselves. And we thank you, Lord, that all that you have said in Scripture shall come to pass. And we ask, O God, that you would minister to us in this hour that you would separate our minds from the things of this world and the cares of this world and give us, Lord, a desire to focus upon you and your word. Thank you for men who have gone before us, men and women who have lived a godly life as an example to us. And Lord, we thank you for the richness of those lives and as they have shared with us And we pray, Father, that we will continue to pass it down from generation to generation, your word, because it is your word that gives life. It is your word that keeps us. It is your word that encourages us. May it do so today, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're going to be on this area of what is that mark, or the mark of the beast, the judgment seat, and uh, that whole, boy, I linked myself off. Uh, that whole area in which we have to deal with. Yeah, and um, we're the ones that have to decide if we really want to be like Jesus. Now, we're going through this study, and there's many books you can go out and get. This is a newer one by Tim Lehay, the Christian time chart and so forth. And he shows when different things, from his perspective, when those things would take place. And uh, nothing wrong with them, and you can't really see it. But he illustrates a time period when the rapture will take place, when the judgment seat of Christ will take place, when the marriage of the Lamb will take place, and all that and makes comments on it. Understand this. There is still much to learn even if you go through something like this. And it's good reading. We're not throw it away. And then there's an older one called Dispensational Truths." The whole Process again is all the different charts and all the stuff you can get from the charts from within them, and boy uh, you can see all kinds of pictures and illustrations and so forth and but remember, dispensation just says or means a period of time. Our God is a God that changes not now. How that fits with dispensation sometime, because they say what God did over here god can 't do over here, and i 'm saying what God wants to do god 's going to do See? and uh, so again, it just shows you different charts, it shows you the rapture, it shows you the different time of the marriage of the lamb and It's all good reading, good studying for a Christian that really wants to just learn more. But again, the book that you always got to come back to and really deal with each one of these subjects. And you can't run away from this one book called the Bible. Every now and then, different professors come to mind. Doc, Dr. Collier was our Greek professor. And Dr. Collier told what you discover in the word sometimes won't be accepted in the churches because it's different than what they've been told or they've been brought up with. But always remember, your first job is to teach this word. Teach it. And that's what the goal is, to teach this. What is important is that Jesus Christ is coming back. That's what's important. Jesus Christ is coming back. And some of us may say, well, that's not all that important. He's already been here once. And I'm saved, so that's the main thing, and that's how some people feel. But I want you to understand, the rapture is going to take place. And I believe it's going to take place before Revelation 27, the rapture, all the things that are stated that are going to take place, those things will all take place before Revelation 27. Why? Revelation 20 verse 7 starts the last battle between the Lord and Satan. The millennium has passed. Everything has passed. And all these things have to be done before that takes place. Chapter 20 verse 7. Because the final battle takes place. And all these other things have to take place. Now Why should you want to even learn about these things? Now, most likely the rapture could take place in the next five minutes. Next minute. For nobody knows the day or the hour or the time it's going to take place. The rapture is when the church is caught up to be with the Lord. Now, understand when the rapture takes place, why things are going on down here, something else is going to take place. The judgment seat of Christ is going to take place, and then the banquet or the marriage part of the Lamb. Now, as one author puts it, it's going to be a, a long time trying to judge everybody from eternity beginning to the last part. Well, Something's wrong with that kind of thinking because we brought God now into what? Our time of thinking. If one day can be like a thousand years to God, or a thousand years can be like one day to God, only thing He's saying to us, I'm not on Y'all's timetable. I'm not working in a 24 hour time frame. Why is it important for you to know it? One, If you're out here and you're talking, that you can talk with people about end times and things that can take place. And you're not ignorant about it. You can talk about it. Now, a young man who was at this church got his credentials here in the district they placed him in a church. He calls me about three months after he's in that church. And he says, Gus, these people don't believe in pre-rapture. I said, so? He said, that's what I believe. Well, believe it. But teach God's word. Teach God's word. There's the pre there's the mid, there's the post. All by godly men. I have all three up on my desk. Authors of all three. Godly men. What are they seeking? The will of God and how God is going to bring all this to pass. But why should I be interested in it? Ask yourself this question right now. How many generations in your family are living right now? And I asked myself this question, too. There's Tyler, there's Faith, there's Gus. Then there, there's children. So we have, what, seven, eight grandchildren? Then we have two great-grandchildren when I'm getting ready to be two years old, is it a possibility that the rapture and end times could start in one of their lifetime? Is that a possibility? And if that is a possibility, and with the knowledge I have and the knowledge you have, You have a responsibility to allow your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren to know what they might be walking into. That you make them aware. But if you don't have the knowledge or if you don't believe it, you won't make them aware. You won't even let them know. Go to two verses with me. Let's go over to <clears throat> Psalms 71. Psalms 71. And, and, and John 3.3, we've we, we read that enough, that if you believe these things, it says it purifies you. That's, that's a good reason. If you really believe Jesus is coming, if you really believe that people are going to worship some type of image or whatever, it fortifies your faith that you won't do that. Because remember what Jesus said, when I come, will I find any who are what? Faithful. Faithful to who? To him. But over in Psalms 71, verse 18, look what he says. And then you ask yourself, is this part of your responsibility? Is this part of what you should be doing also and if it is before you can share it you have to be able to believe it and know it yourself he says even when I am old and gray well there's a lot of us that fit that description here today even when I am old and gray do not forsake me O God Till, now look what he says. Till I declare your power to who? The next generation. Do you have a responsibility? Yes. To do what? To share God's scripture with who? The next generation in your family. Whether it be the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren. We have that responsibility to share with that next generation. Your might to all who are to come. All who are to come through my lineage or through my family or whatever. I have a responsibility to share with them. I'm still praying and hoping that I'll live to see the day that the prayer I prayed over Jeremy when he was only about six weeks old come to pass. I'm praying to see that with Lexi, Because each one of my children and grandchildren, I pray over them. When they were not even understanding what was being said. I prayed and asked God to do certain things in their life. And some of them I'm still looking for that to take place. That they'll really love the Lord and walk with the Lord and honor Him. Go to Psalm 78. Look at the challenge that God gives us. He says, oh my people. Sometime when you're reading scripture, and I ask a person this because they were telling me, oh, when you, when you read that, you've got to understand, God was talking to a certain group of people, to the Israelites. I said, so when he was talking to the Corinth, he wasn't talking to me, he was only talking to the church of Corinth. Or when he was talking to the church of Ephesus, he wasn't talking to me, he was only talking to the church of Ephesus. Or when he was talking to the Jews, he was only talking to the Jews. And here he says, oh, my people, Now ask yourself this question. Are you one of his people? Are you one of his people? Are you one of his saints? That's what's important. Melvin said this morning that all scripture is God what? God breathed. And God don't waste words. And he says, oh, my people, hear my teaching. Is that to all of his people or just to some of his people or just a select group of his people? Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from who? Our children. What are you hiding from your children? Are you hiding truth from your children? While you see your children live in sin? Are you hiding truth from them? Are you hiding truth of what might take place in the future from them? Because you're ignorant of the future and what might take place in the future. And the future may frighten you and therefore you don't want to discover it. And you don't want to share it. We will not hide them from their Children, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of our God, his power, and the wonders he has done. We're sharing our knowledge of God to the next generation in our household. If you're not doing that, then you're sinning. You're sinning if you're not sharing it. You're not, the, you're not responsible for the results of it. But you are responsible to share it. Because you share it does not automatically make somebody, oh, I'm going to believe it. Or I'm going to reject it. That's their choice. But will the blood be on your hands? Because your responsibility is to what? Share it. And that's why we're going through this. That we can share with people what the future might hold. And I really believe that the Antichrist is already at work. He is deceiving people more so now than he's ever done in history. He is preparing people to believe a lie and to accept whatever he does for them. He's preparing now, now, and he's removing as much as he can of any image, any word, anything that would represent God, he's removing it. And there's going to come a day, as Melvin says, open your Bible or your technology or that other word he used. But the thing is, is this here. One day, you're not going to even be able to say that. Now you say, well, pastor, that's not true. We live in America. We're, we're, we're free. The Antichrist is maybe more alive right here in America than he is anywhere else. Now, what we need to understand is simply this. We're not appointed to God's wrath. That's God's promise. We're not appointed to his wrath. Problem I have, I cannot get wrath and tribulation in the same word. Tribulation is trials and testing. Wrath is the anger of God being poured out upon people. Two different words in the Greek altogether. And somehow we've merged them together. And they're two different words. And I strongly believe we are not as Christians, those who have truly been born again, not those who act like it, not someone who is just some time on, some time off, but those who have really been born from above are not appointed to God's wrath. You'll find that in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 5.9. We've been appointed unto salvation and deliverance from God's wrath through Jesus Christ. Now the question I will pose to you is simply this. Will people of faith who do not receive their expected time, Lose faith in Jesus Christ because he didn't come when they expected him to come. Will they walk away from him? Will they say it's not true? What, it, what will it do to their faith in Christ? Adrian Rogers is one of the best, he was the president of the Southern Baptist for many years. And he breaks down and he says, I have very close friends who are mid trib who are post trib, And I know they're godly men. And I'm pre trib I'm pre trib I believe the rapture will take place before tribulations start. But he also goes on and he says... But God will do and act in his time. God will do and act in his time. I know he's not coming, and this is, boy, this is something. I know he's not coming three times to please those who are pre-trib. He'll take the pre-tribbers. Then he'll come back and he'll take the mid-tribbers. Then he'll come back and he'll take the post-tribbers. He says, no, God's not doing that. He's coming one time. And those who are in Christ Jesus will be caught up with him. Those who are in Christ Jesus will be caught up with him. I know he's not coming three times to satisfy each person's position or belief. God is making one trip at one time. Therefore, I am watching and I'm ready when he says, come, I'm going. How many of you have that mindset? Hey, Lord, I can't go right now. I got to go to this. Can you come back tomorrow afternoon and get me? Not going to happen. Lord, I got this on my calendar. I can't meet your calendar. Can you get me on this date and time? I'll be ready then not going to happen. It's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye at God's time. Our position is simply this, what he tells us in Matthew, be watchful, be ready. Be watchful, be ready. Nothing's wrong with the theories, nothing wrong to study it out. But come back to what scripture demands of us. To be watchful and to be ready to go at a very moment in which he says, come up. When the trumpet sounds, I'm gone. When the voice from heaven, huh, I'm gone. And don't believe I don't want to be one of the first gone. I want to pray. I don't want pain. I don't want no suffering. I don't want all the other stuff. I would love to be out of here, but I have a greater question too. Lord, would you keep me faithful to you no matter what? Keep me faithful to you no matter what. And that's my question about Christians. Would we really stay faithful to him? Because his question is, when he comes, will he find any who are faithful? I want to get out of here as soon as possible. I don't know how long. I don't know what's going to really take place other than what scripture says. And that's what I want to drill into your hearts and your mind. Many of us most likely will never see the rapture. We will be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But one generation is really going to see it. Will that be the generation of my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren? And do they have knowledge of what might take place and what they should be looking for and what they should be recognizing? Or will Jesus Christ and the Bible be so removed that it would be so easy to bow down and be deceived by an image? Go back to Revelations 13. ask yourself this question with all the tattooing going on does every symbol have a meaning when people see the cross it has a meaning when people see the sign of the star of David it has a meaning when you put a period, it has a meaning. When you just put a question mark, it has a meaning. Every symbol has a meaning. If every symbol has a meaning, and people are being conditioned mentally to just take tattoo, tattoo, don't have no idea what they're putting on their body, or the meaning of what's going on in their body. Are we being preconditioned to take 666? Cause it'll just be another tattoo on my body. Satan doesn't go to work the night before he plans to do something. He goes to work years and years and years before conditioning the minds of people. Why? Because God conditions our minds. And he is a deceiver. And his job is out to trick us. Not so much teach us, but to trick us. God is out to teach us. And then we are the ones who have to be willing to accept what he teaches. He's not out to deceive us. He's not out to confuse us. He's out to teach us. That we be a people to prepare to face whatever we have to face. Not alone, but with Him. But with Him. So, in that Revelation chapter 13, and I hope I'm gone when this takes place, but I need to make my grandchildren, great grandchildren know this could happen. Because they may not be saved. But they may see some of these things happening. And then they might be able to say. Grandpa told us. Grandpa said this. Grandpa said that. And now they begin to see it come to pass. Because at least they heard it. They heard it. How often do you recall something your mom says. Or your dad said. And at the moment you may have first heard it. That's just some old talk. But then when it comes to pass, and you begin to see it, it changes. So in Mark 13, pick up with me in verse 16. What, what, what. Okay, Revelation 13. Verse 16. He says, He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. And what he's saying, it don't matter about your title, your position, Satan's going to be out to deceive you, trick you, Make you take this mark. And he goes on and he says, to receive a mark on his right hand or his forehead. Two things. Back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, it tells us to put this little thing up upon the forehead of the children that they might remember God. It was a process of learning. So it went on the forehead and a band around. Satan says on the forehead. That's an announcement. I'm in agreement with that image. And the teaching of the image is always where? Before me. Then he says in the hand. How many of us understand? The hand. The hand. See, there used to be a time that agreements were sealed just with a handshake. Well, I bought my first home. 20 years old. Wasn't 21. Had to be 21 then. And the older gentleman who I was dealing with who owned the home, I didn't go to the salesperson the sign was out there. I went directly to the house, and I explained to him, I'm eligible for a VA loan. I'm missing that, but I can only spend so much money. And it was just a couple thousand less than what he was asking for his home. And I said, I didn't want to go to the realtor because he's going to try to get exactly what you want or not more. This is what I can pay for your home. And we agreed to 19,000. And I asked him before I got up to leave. I said, sir, would you mind writing that out? He says, young man, I don't need to write it out. I've given you my word. And he put his hand out. And we shook hands. And that agreement stood (laughs) on a handshake. Could that hand be an agreement... Between you and that image. Between the people of that day and that image. It really doesn't tell us what the hand really stands for. But symbolicness, could it mean that? And a mark, every mark stands for something. And you see some of the hideous stuff on people that they've gotten as a tattoo. And they don't even know the real meaning or the story behind it. Yet they have it. They display it. And we're being conditioned mentally just to be tattooed and take a mark just to be in style. We'll follow it because everybody else is doing it. We'll follow it. But then there's a warning in chapter 14. Come on down into verse 9. And we get the warning about the mark. And he says, Third angels followed them and said in a loud voice, he's emphasizing something, it's loud, people are going to know it. Understand something, people who reject Christ know it. People who don't believe know it. People who live in sin know it. especially for Christians who decide to live in sin and want to name the name of Christ, that will be a sin because what you are doing is denying that God will forgive you. You are denying that God said, this is sinful, this is wrong. You are denying the one who says, if you just come to me and confess your sins, I'll will be just and I will forgive you of all your sins. But if you don't confess them, don't look for the forgiveness. But if you confess them, God is just and he will forgive you of your sin. Now, in that night he says, a second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen, Babylon the great, I'm sorry, nine, a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worship the beast and his image and receive his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lambs. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark Of his name. This cause Now he switches back to the saints. Or to his people of that day. He says now this calls. For patience. Why patience? You're waiting on God to act. You're waiting for God to remove. You're waiting for God to show up. It takes patience to wait. On God to work. In our lives. It takes patience. To see God's hand. Move troubling waters away from us. It takes patience. To see God. Deliver us. It takes patience. To see God work. And he says. It takes patience. Then he uses another word. That goes along with patience. oftentimes, Endurance. Strength, the ability to stand, no matter what your crisis might be, that you can endure because you know you're an overcomer. Will the people at that time know that there really are overcomers if they are in Christ? Will they know that? They won't know that unless we teach them, unless we speak it to them. We're allowing people to go into the future ignorant because we won't share it. And he says, he calls for patience and endurance on the part of the who? The saints. The saints. Are the saints the people of God? It don't matter if they're born in Old Testament, New Testament, church age, or in tribulation. He calls them what? Saints. So that's allowed me to know people are still going to be what? Saved even during the time of what? Tribulation. They're called saints. They're the people of God. Now, The mark will be forced upon some. But it's through deception when you follow this out. And it's a symbol of that image of the Antichrist. It's a symbol of your unbelief in Jesus Christ. But we're warned about it. We're told about it. Now understand again. Here comes the judgment seat. The judgment seat doesn't take place until many of these things have taken place even. But we're all going to have to appear before the judgment seat of God. Turn to first 2nd Corinthians chapter 5. 2nd Corinthians chapter 5. Why don't you put your eyes first on verse 9. Because it's important because this is how we should live. This is how we should be teaching our children to live, our grandchildren to live. So much of the world is living to please themselves. It's everything about what I want. What I want. What I want. What I want to enjoy. All the commercials on TV, they never tell you about the cost of something. You just come and enjoy it. And a lot of us, rather than pay our electrical bill, our gas bill, we'll go have fun, then come to the church and say, Would you help me with my electrical bill? Because we are all caught up in the pleasures of this world. Now I'm not saying don't enjoy life. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a lot of pleasures in life that don't cost you a lot of money. And you can do those things. Last week I took my wife out and she told me how much she, she, she was just pleased. We went out. We went to Applebee's. And when the waiter came, cause I was paying, <laughs> see, see, I said, man, we're getting that two for 29. And she said, appetite? I said, certainly not. We're just getting the two for 29 and water. Now, when she pays, we get it all. Appetizers, this and that and everything. See? But we enjoyed ourselves without the appetizer. We enjoyed ourselves without paying $6 for some Pepsi or Coke. The water was free and it was just as good. We enjoyed ourselves.
1: Hey, <laughs> hey.
0: And what I'm just trying to point out to you, there are pleasures in this world that God wants you to enjoy. He's not trying to deny you a pleasure. But our first thing should always be this. We please him. We please him. So when you go into that verse, verse 9, he says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. That Boy, as long as I'm in this body, my goal is to please God. And if I'm in heaven, my same goal, the goal's the same, please God. But I gotta teach myself to please God, to do those things that please God. I have the responsibility of being a steward over the things that God has blessed me with. And I want to be a good steward. Sometimes that's denying Elaine because I'm being a good steward. But if I deny her, who do I have to deny first? Myself. Because my goal is to please God. And all that he's given unto me that I handle it properly. My goal is to live a life that is pleasing to him. And he says, in verse 9, so we make it our goal. How many of you have made it your goal to please God no matter what? I mean, you have to walk away from this guy. You have to walk away from this girl. You have to walk away from this job. You have to walk away from this. There's a lot of things you have to walk away from, but there's a lot of things you're walking into. And then he goes on he brings us to this point. We all got to appear. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? I don't know if Christians understand is that your life is not your own. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, we've been bought with a price. And if you've been bought, you are no longer your own. You're somebody else's. You've been bought with the price. But we don't understand that principle. That we're not our own. Christians today, we don't much understand what it is that we are dead to ourselves, but yet alive to Christ. We don't understand that. We think we live and God supposed to make it possible we can live with everything, everything we want. he says, we must all appear. Go with me to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Because it's important that we catch this, because many people are not seeing this. And Paul makes it so clear. We live a Christianity today that is so far away from biblical truths, and that's dangerous. Because we have this thing, oh well, I accepted Christ, but I'm not living for Him. And it's okay. It's not okay. You just deceived yourself. It is not okay to talk about, oh, I've been saved, I've been born again, I believe in Jesus Christ, and live like the devil. Either the devil's your father, or God's your father. There's nothing in between. It's one or the other. You have to make the choice. We all do. And he simply says in Galatians 2.20 Now really catch this and underline it if you don't. I have been crucified with Christ. Crucifixion always means what? Death. Death. You're dead. I'm dead. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. I no longer what? Live. I don't live. I don't live to do my pleasures. To do my thing. To do my want to's. I don't live for that. For whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for what purpose? For the glory of God. We're still learning that. That whatever I do, I'm doing it for his glory. And Paul says, boy, I do no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of who? Of God. Are you living that way? Are you truly living that way? Because see, that's what you're going to be judged on. How you lived. You're going to be judged, and I'm jumping ahead and we'll pick it back up next week. You are a steward of the life that God has given you. You are a steward of the life that God has given you. If you are born again, you are not what you once were. 2 Corinthians 7 says simply this. If any man be in Christ, he is what? He is a new creature. Old things are what now? Passed away. Behold, all things are what? Becoming what? New. You are a new creature. Who gave you that life? He did not give you a new life to live it in the old manner in which you were living. He gave you a new life that you would live it in such a way that it would be pleasing unto Him, glorifying unto Him honoring him and that all that you do, you do it to please him. And we will give an account for that. We will give an account of our stewardship of the new life that he gave us because we have a choice. It can be gold, silver, rubies or wood, hay and stubble. How you live. And some of us live just like stubble, garbage. Well, we should be living like gold and shining like gold and people wanting what we have, the gold, rather than the stubble, the worthless junk. And a lot of Christians, to be a testimony in their life of our kind is the worst testimony. And I imagine it brings tears to our God That he sees our life in such a shape when we have the power to live above what we're living. These sermons have been brewing in me all week. While I'm cutting grass, cutting trees, Me and the Lord are just talking, brewing, going back over. You and I have to come to a place in this time and ask this question. How serious are we about our faith in Jesus? How serious are you? Because time is growing short. And you will be held accountable for the type of life you're living that God has given to you. He's going to hold you accountable. Next week we're going to look into 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because that's where the accountability basically rests and where we're going to see the judgment that somewhat takes place. But you need to understand God will hold every one of us who names the name of Christ responsible for the life, the stewardship of the life, of how we've taken care of it, how we nurtured it, how we grow up in it. God will hold us responsible accountable, and at the judgment seat of Christ. is not about what I should or could have done or would like to have done. It's going to be about one thing. What you have done. Period. Period. Father, we just thank you and praise you that your word is true. And you did not breathe out scripture for us to just look it over and ask the question, do I want to do this? Should I do this? But Lord, you have given us a roadmap and a guide and empowerment through the Holy Spirit to be everything you want us to be if we desire to please you. Whatever it is that is keeping us from living life before you, in a manner that is pleasing to you, would you take it away from us? Would you just take it, oh God, and that which we think we enjoy and that which we think we just have to have? Lord, would you give us a bitter taste for it? Would you bring us to a place that, Lord, That man can't please me. This woman can't please me. This job can't please me. This much money can't please me. The only thing that really pleased me in this life is a relationship with Jesus Christ and him alone. Understanding if I have him, if I have him, and he has me, I have all that I need, I have all that I need in Him. Minister to us, Lord, that we might live a life pleasing to You, knowing that we're going to be judged on how we live. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: God has Smiled on me, he has set me free. God has smiled on me. God has smiled on me. He has set me free. God. God has smiled on me. He's been good to me. One more time, I say, God has. Oh, yes, He has. He smiled on you. Mm, My God Yes He has He smiled on on me He's been good good. I said He's He's been good You know he's He's been good To me